A while back, I was asked to describe the biblical understanding of manhood and womanhood from both an egalitarian and complementarian perspective. Egalitarianism maintains the view that both men and women alike are designed by God to spiritually lead, feed, and protect God's people, both in the home and in the church. In other words, at the heart of evangelical egalitarian theology over the last 40-plus years has been a strong resistance to any forthright definitions of manhood and womanhood in distinction from one another. It's the essence of egalitarianism to minimize and even deny gender roles that define manhood and womanhood, thus really placing a nearly impossible burden upon the person who might attempt to describe manhood and womanhood from an egalitarian perspective. I personally don't believe it can be done. While egalitarians rightly believe in the essential equality of both genders in terms of value and dignity, uh, consider Genesis 1, 26 and 27, Genesis 2, 18, Genesis 2, 20, Genesis 2, 23, they also deny any substantive differences between men and women in terms of role and responsibility. Though evangelical egalitarians frequently appeal to and attempt to marshal a number of biblical texts in their favor, and some of those texts might include uh, Deborah's role as a prophetess and judge in Judges 4.4, the existence of Huldah the prophetess in 2 Kings 22.14, the presence of Esther in the court of the Persian king, really throughout the book of Esther, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on women in the day of Pentecost so that daughters prophesy, uh, Acts 2.17, the phenomena of the gift of prophecy on women generally throughout the New Testament, Acts 21.9 or 1 Corinthians 11.5, or the statement in Galatians 3.23 that there's no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus, or the role of Phoebe as a deacon, in Romans 16.1, or the controversial reference to Junia as a potential apostle in Romans 16.7. Well, egalitarian evangelicals, like I said, frequently appeal to and even attempt to marshal a number of these biblical texts in their favor. It's also true that they distort and even torture other texts into submission in order to empty them of their plain meaning. And, and this is just a theology that simply can't be supported by a responsible handling of Holy Scripture. Uh, for example, it's not uncommon for egalitarians to claim that gender roles are a result of the fall, according to Genesis 3.16. Or they attempt to explain away male headship and female submission in marriage uh, with an appeal to cultural issues of Paul's day in Ephesians 5.22-33 or suggesting that Paul's prohibition of women teaching and having authority over men in the gathered church was merely a culturally conditioned expectation of the first century church that we've just simply matured beyond uh, from 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 15. Well, as I said, this is a theology that simply, notwithstanding those objections, just can't be supported by a reasonable handling of Scripture. In fact, I would argue that um, there have been many uh, answers to these questions 
in the last couple of decades of evangelical theology. Really chief among these proponents of a complementarian vision would be Wayne Grudem and any of the books that he's written where he's taken up these objections and and dismissed them one by one with a careful and thorough and, to my mind, convincing handling of, of Scripture. Well, by contrast, the biblical understanding of manhood and womanhood from a complementarian perspective is based on a straightforward grammatical and historical interpretation and application of Old and New Testament texts. Now, within our society, and sadly, even within evangelical egalitarian circles, there is rampant ignorance of, and frankly, ambivalence toward gender roles. In the scriptures, there is untold insight into and enthusiasm toward gender roles. The first poem in the Bible is about, among other things, gender. <laughs> Genesis one twenty seven. Genesis one twenty seven says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis one twenty seven is not simply data. It's dynamite. The Bible not only reports the essential equality in value and dignity of both men and women is made in the very image of God. It celebrates it. Furthermore, when Adam gets his first look at Eve, we see the same instinct as the man breaks out into poetic verse describing his wife. She is equal to him and yet very, very different. Genesis 2.23, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Once again, equality in terms of value, dignity, and creation in the image of God are all fully reflected and jubilantly celebrated. However, the Bible doesn't stop there. While God's word clearly trumpets the absolute equality of men and women in value and dignity, it's quite clear there are differences in gender as it relates to role and responsibility. As John Piper has so helpfully written, quote, at the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead provide for and protect women in ways that are appropriate to a man's differing relationships, end quote. And furthermore, Piper says, quote, at the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways that are appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. Well, I happily accept and hold forth these definitions of manhood and womanhood as biblical and representative of the complementarian position. There's no doubt in my mind that the complementarian perspective of manhood and womanhood is the most biblical between the two options. I not only believe it, but I'm fully persuaded that it is the best and most beautiful. Christians ought never to suppress 
or distort God's design for a complementary vision of masculinity and femininity. Instead, we ought to eagerly receive and joyfully relish these truths. While man as male and female are equal, they are also different. And these differences extend to male leadership, both in the home with the husband as the head of the wife, according to Ephesians 5.23, and in the church with men only as pastors and elders, 1 Timothy 2.12-13, as well as 1 Timothy 3.1-7. It's been my experience that churches who believe these things are not only churches that are healthy, but they are churches where women and men absolutely flourish because they are living in harmony with their God-intended design as male and female. Grace and peace.